0: Could you open up to Matthew chapter thirteen as we are continuing in our series on telling stories on the parables about the kingdom of God and all that jazz? <laughs> Matthew chapter thirteen. We're going to look today at forty four to forty six. But before we go into it, I just you know just kind of want to highlight a little something that happened in my life recently. You know, there's some wonderful, wonderful perks you get from being a pastor here. One of those perks is you get inside information on people, specifically financially. You get inside information. I was talking to Doug Scott about a year ago. Doug Scott's the guy that was just up here, actually. I was talking to him about a year ago, and he was telling me a story about his, about his grandmother. And his grandmother had a crazy habit of burying money in coffee cans. Uh, all around her yard, you know, she uh, didn't trust the bank, so she saved her money the old-fashioned way and would put dollar bills and other things in coffee cans and bury them. My ears instantly perked up, and I asked him nonchalantly, where did she live, Doug? <laughs> and uh, he really didn't catch on too quick, and he gave me her address, where she lived in her final days. She's been passed for a while now and so I just made sure that a little more time passed. When the coast was clear last December late at night I grabbed a shovel and I went to her house and it's an old abandoned house and she's got a really big backyard. I decided to dig some holes. Why not? Why not dig some holes? So I figured they couldn't be buried any deeper than a foot, and I, had, I devised the digging strategy. I call it the Battleship Algorithm. Have you ever played Battleship, where you drop a bomb there, drop a bomb there, then over there, and I started digging in the same manner. Dug over here, then I went down the grid, dug over here, looking for a hit. After a good half hour of digging, and the calluses of my soft pasture hands started bleeding, I was really getting tired. <laughs> really tired my back was sore a little bit but i was looking at my grid and i realized there's one portion on that map in the backyard i didn't try right in the back corner of the property i took my shovel placed it in the ground and the soil was sandy you know super sandy i put the spade down and i stepped on the top of it and the edge went through like a slicing through a stick of hot butter just right in. And all of a sudden, tink, I hit something. It was metallic. So I got on my hands and knees, I turned on my headlamp, and I started clawing at the ground in the sandy dirt, and I started peeling it away. And something flashed silver. It was a coffee can. My heart was beating like a drum. I couldn't wait. I grabbed it, and I gently pulled it up. It had a strange Portuguese word on it called Maldito. The only person that might know what that means is Will. Maldito. Do you know what that means, Will? means evil. Is that what it means? I took it anyway. I took it anyhow. (laughs) I took it out and I put it in my black backpack. I drove home because dogs were starting to bark at this time. I went to the basement of my house and I pulled it out. I brought it with me. Would you like to see it? Yeah. Of course, in my same black backpack, and I have it in a coffee can that says Maldito, and I opened it up. It didn't smell like coffee, but take a look at what I found. Oh, ho, ho! Diamonds! I don't care. I've got a ton of them now. I am richer than I've ever been. I've got sapphires and rubies, look at that, sapphire, diamonds. I'm rich. I am forever rich and you're probably saying, I don't believe it. No, it's not true. I made it all up, but it's a great story, isn't it? I mean, we all long to get, look at that diamond. If that was true, man, I am in easy street. We all have these dreams, we all would love to win the lottery, find an old Indian burial ground in your backyard with arrowheads. That's why I think some people would like to get on the show Survivor and win a million dollars. <laughs> that dream of finding treasure you'd take care of. But it's just a dream. It can't be true, right? Wait a minute. Not so fast. It can be true. Look at verses 44 to 46. We have a treasure map of a treasure that's greater than a can full of diamonds. And let me read, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who, on finding one pearl, here's one pearl right here. Look at that pearl. I found one. Oh, yes. I found one pearl of great value. And he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So, this is one of the parables that is dealing with the kingdom of heaven. Last week, Trevor talked about the kingdom of heaven. week before, Ken talked about it. In fact, chapter 13 is all about the kingdom of heaven. What is it and what is it like? And today we learn that the kingdom of heaven is like finding treasure. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Simply put, what is the kingdom of heaven? That's more, um, we've kind of been discussing it, but just a quick Backtrack, the kingdom of heaven, we have said a couple things. It's having Christ, having his rule in our life, and having him reign forever. Scholars say it's a already in your heart happening when you believe by faith in Christ, he comes and he sets up his throne on your, over your life. But it's a not yet. We, we don't really see it. But someday, he's going to come back in glory, and when he comes back in glory, the world as we know it will be swallowed up, and we will see tangibly with our own eyes the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. So, what Jesus is saying here, okay, what is it like? He says, simply put, it's like a treasure. It's like a treasure. In the parables about a treasure. What is it about a treasure? Well, when you find it, it grabs you and it never leaves you. When you find it, you're surprised. I can't believe it's mine. And I'm set. And it's our story. The story is in three parts. The story is three acts and we're going to walk through it. And hopefully you will resonate with it. And if you don't, I'm not sure you found a treasure. I'm not sure you can sing like we did this morning when we sang, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, starting in Act 1. Act 1. In my research, most scholars would say we have two parallel stories that are communicating the same idea. The idea is simple, treasures found. When you have the kingdom of heaven, you found treasures. In the first story you have a man who happens upon a treasure in a hidden field he wasn't really looking for it but he found it in the second story we have a man whose job it is is to find the best pearls that's his job and not only does he find the best pearl he finds the pearl of an insurmountable price that he knows he will never find again so the main theme as Stephen Leston writes, the kingdom is of, is of inestimable value. And when people find it, they know it. And they are filled with great joy. Just like a man who discovers treasure. <laughs> yes. They can't believe it. They can't believe three things. They can't believe it's actually mine. I can't believe it. And it changes their life. Second thing. Not only is it mine, but do you know what this is going to do for me? And then not only that, it's permanent. I don't ever have to worry again. I'm set. I'm set for life. So Jesus is saying that those who find him and his kingdom will be set. Look at the, go to 1st Peter. I want you to go to 1st Peter. In the end of the Bible, right before 1 John and Revelation, 1 Peter chapter 1. Right after James. 1 Peter 1, look at verses 7 and 8. It's fascinating. Peter writes, he's talking about faith. He says, faith is more precious than gold. Faith is more precious than gold. And then he says, though, it may be tested by fire for the purpose of to find that it will result in praise and glory and honor. But then verse 8, he says, though you have not seen him, that is the kingdom not yet. You love him. That is the kingdom already. I already love him, but not fully see him. It's here, but it's not. And then it goes, though you do not now see him, you believe in it. And you rejoice with this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Like a treasure. I'm, I have joy. This is mine. Not only is this mine, but I'm set. I'm set. What is so compelling about treasure? I was thinking through why do, why, like, when I, if this is true, what's so compelling about it, really? Is it the glitter? Is it the golden luster? Is it the shine? Somewhat, to some degree. Is it the touch of it? I don't know. I mean, you touch it, it's still like a stone. What is it about treasure that is so compelling? I think it's the joy of the promises that will be fulfilled in the future. My future is taken care of forever. Not only will I be able to purchase things I've always wanted, but I will no longer have to worry about taking care of the lesser things that dog me every day of my life. Every day of my life. I'm so tired of just trying to survive. But if I have a treasure, man, I'm set. So if my car goes bad, I can buy a new one. Just flick a diamond... Get me a new car. If I don't want to pay mortgage anymore, I can buy a million-dollar house by Lake Michigan, have a walkout deck with five boats out there, and they're all paid for. I don't have to worry. I'm set. So you could say it like this. Possessing the treasure actually sets me free to live for the things I've always wanted to live for. I can live now. Can you imagine what it would be like to no longer worry. That's the human predicament. The human predicament is fear. We wake up every morning trying to stop fear. But having treasure silences the fear. I'll I'll illustrate it for you. This is one of my favorite musicals. It's Fiddler on the Roof and this song, If I Were a Richman. And Tavier, I love Tavier's, He's kind of heavy, Jewish peasant from Russia. He's three daughters and he's poor. He's dirt poor. And he's talking with God in his barn and here's his conversation. Oh Lord, I like my thoughts, oh Lord, you've made many, many poor people. I realize of course it's no shame to be poor. Then he writes, but it's no great honor either. And I agree with that. It's no great honor to be poor. I don't need to be poor anymore. He goes, so what would have been so terrible if I had a small fortune, and then that's when he starts singing, If I Were a Rich Man, every day, all day long, I'd be pump. If I were a wealthy man, he goes, Hey, I would not have to work. It's a great song, but listen to the verses. The verses are the key. He goes, I'd build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with real wooden floor. And he's a peasant, so he never had wooden floors. He lives on dirt. and He's like, can't I just have a house? I just want a house. What's wrong with a nice house? Then he sings this verse. I see my wife, my Goldie, living like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin. You know, he's talking about, ah, it'd be nice if my wife could eat a lot, you know, get fat. Back in the days, being fat was a good deal, man. It was a good deal. At the end of his song, he goes, "Oi, what a happy mood she's in. (laughs) Screaming at the servants day and night. That's a great part. But listen to the last verse. The last verse is really the climax of the song. If I were rich, I'd have the time that I lack to sit in the synagogue and pray, and maybe have a seat by the eastern wall, and I'd discuss the holy books with the learned men several hours every day, and that would be the sweetest thing of all. That would be the sweetest thing of all. To Have enough time where I can stop the world and delight in God. This is what he'd do with untold riches. Build a house, take care of his wife, and finally have time to contemplate the wonders of God. Oh, but think about it a second. In Christ, we have this treasure. Did you ever read Matthew 6? Have you ever looked at Jesus says, the birds of the field, birds of the air and the flowers of the fields, they don't spin, they don't work, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Don't worry about tomorrow. Then he says in Hebrews. I will always be with you. I will never leave nor forsake you. Why worry? What can man do to you? If you have Christ, and those who have bound him in his kingdom, they have a treasure that's better than this. I just don't think they believe it. Those who have found this to be true, having the kingdom of heaven right now dwelling in their heart, Not only do you no longer need to fear, but you have inside of you an inexpressible and glorious joy. And you know it. Which leads to part two. This is act two. Act two is the strange part. Jesus always gives twists in his story. The man who finds the treasure doesn't receive all of it immediately because the gold remains buried. And the pearl is not yet bought was talking to Keith, cites after the first service, and he said, I know a guy who doesn't like the parable because it's like he's stealing from the guy whose field he found it in. I don't like that parable. Jeez, how do you not like Jesus' story? Who do you have a right to judge Jesus' story? But all you got to do is say, that guy's the devil, and you're spying it from the devil. Say, he's got it. That's how you fix that story. So... The idea is he buys the field, but hides the treasure, so it's still hidden. So part two of the story is I have the treasure, but I don't have the treasure. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, but it's not yet mine. That's the craziest part about finding the kingdom of heaven. There's a real excitement, but the reason for your excitement is often misunderstood By most people, you're trying to convince of its greatness. They don't get it. Those who don't find it won't see it. I've heard people say it to me me like this. I try to explain to them the gospel, and they'll say, so let me see if I get this straight. You believe in a person who lived over 2,000 years ago, was a poor Jew. He didn't own anything. Actually, when he died, he gave up his last cloak, And he died on a cross, and a cross was humiliated, naked, on a cross. And you want me to believe that too? (laughs) Come on! I've heard people say this. So you believe in a God that's invisible, who claims to protect the orphan, and the widow, who blesses the righteous and the pure, and yet when I look on the world, all I see is that tyrant spools and liars run the world. I don't see a good God anywhere. Because you haven't yet really understood the treasure. You haven't understood the treasure. Because the kingdom of heaven isn't fully realized yet, Satan is having a heyday casting doubt on God's goodness and glory to those who have not yet found it to be glorious. And I was thinking through this. Why, Why does it seem so hard to share your joy of the kingdom with others? Why is it hard to explain it? because I think there's two reasons. First of all I think is because we have we have traded religion for a relationship. We think religion is actually the treasure. Religion's not the treasure. Religion is nothing but fool's gold. It's kind of like going to Kids R Us and buying your kids those cheap plastic toys. They look like a gun on the outside but they're plastic. Religion is a lot of plastic. It's a lot of robes and candles and chants and You know, I'm so holy. But knowing God is a relationship with the living, pulsating God who sustains the world right now by the power of His voice. It's easy to be religious. Fake piety is easy to achieve, but it's dead. But having a relationship with Jesus is wonderful, but at the same time, and this is why it's hard, part two, it's deeply personal. It's a deeply personal thing. Each person has to find a treasure for himself, and in some ways, the fullness of what you have found cannot really be shared. Sometimes it's hard to explain. God will meet you in the quietness of soul. Sometimes you're dying on the inside, and you'll go walking in the woods, and he'll speak to you, and it. I can go for another five years now. But you try to explain that to somebody, and you're like, what, you're hearing voices? Huh? It's so deeply personal. The kingdom of heaven, first and foremost, has to be mine. Has to be mine. And I think this is by design, because God wants to know if you want him. That's all he wants to know. He wants to be wanted and this leads to act three act three the way you can tell a person has really found the treasure the way you can tell when somebody really wants to meet with the personal living God they will sell everything to get him look at what it says in verse forty four then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field verse forty six and when finding one pearl of great value he went and he sold all that he had all that he had and he bought it. R.T. France the commentator writes once the kingdom of heaven is truly understood nothing else can compare with it in value even to the point he writes where people will impoverish themselves in order to acquire it. Wow. In this story, the first man, he found a treasure, discovered it. wasn't really looking for it. He happened upon it. He realized it's more than anything he's ever had. He Re- reburied it in the dirt, and then he went out and he sold everything. He sold his house, his wagon, his horses, his livestock, and he went and he bought a field. I can imagine his friends going... Why are you selling everything to buy dirt? I don't get it. I can't really tell you right now. Uh, It's worth it, believe me. How is that worth it? I don't see anything. I'm just telling you, it's worth it. Tell me, Chris, why would somebody give up a great paying job, friends at the bar, the party scene, Sunday morning to sleep in? Oh, for Sunday mornings when I could sleep until noon. Get a beer and turn on NFL Live. Oh. Why would anybody give up that and believe in a God you can't even see? I can't tell you. I just can't tell you. Why would anybody give income to a new building? I don't get it. I don't know how to explain it to you. But if you think about it, the answer is very simple it's the issue of worship. It's worship. Worship is a value comparison. You could say it like this. The personal value of a thing, which is worship, the personal value of a thing is determined by what you will trade for that thing. Jesus asks us to give up our lives for him, to deny ourselves and follow him. Jesus has asked some people in our church to suffer for him, And I'm telling you, it's not fair. But in that suffering, and there by continue to worship even through suffering, it's worship. I love this conversation between Peter and Jesus. You can find it in Matthew 19. If you go to Matthew 19, you need to look at this. It's right after the story of the rich young ruler. This guy's rich. Jesus says, well, if you really want to follow me, sell everything, come follow me. And he wouldn't do it. And the disciples are like, man, is it possible for anybody to get saved if this guy's not going to get saved? Because he's a good guy. And Jesus says, you know, it's like a camel going through the eye of the needle. But then you get to verse 27. And then so Peter says to Jesus, considering all of this, uh, Matthew 19, verse 27. Peter said, talking to Jesus, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have, Jesus? Like he's pointing to the disciples saying, Jesus, I gave up my fishing business for you. Almost like, what, is it worth it? He's asking, is it worth it? Listen to the words of Jesus. Please listen. This is verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly. She means I'm not lying to you. You could probably see Jesus' eyes. I'd love to look in Jesus' eyes. I'm not lying to you. I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name'sake will receive a hundredfold, a hundredfold. And not only that, they'll inherit eternal life. Is eternal life worth it? What do I get out of this deal with eternal life? All right, I was thinking through this. You want to know what you get out of eternal life? Scholars would call it the big five, big five. Listen closely to the big five. So if I sacrifice, I don't even think we sacrifice that much, but if I believe in Christ, here's what I get. I get a new body, I get a wedding feast, a feasting, dancing, rejoicing with family. Third thing I get is to rule on earth with Jesus fourth thing I get is to please him in my body. And the fifth thing I get is I get his very presence. Let's walk through these. It's interesting. Somebody asked C.S. Lewis, especially in the first two, why tangible things like a new body and feasting are important to know. Isn't this frivolous, you know, kind of a worldly desire? And He said, no, no. He said they're important to know because though we can't fully understand them, it gives us hints and parameters on what we can hope for, and it takes away the fear of what eternity is not. A lot of people fear that we're just going to be floating angels on harps. I mean, you've heard that a million times. A lot of people fear that we're going to be wisps of clouds with no body. But these first two should cause us to get excited. The first one is a new body, and I want you to think through this a second. Having this promise of getting a new body tells me that I am still going to be me. I won't lose consciousness. Because to a large degree, I am what I know and I think and I remember and I long for. That is really who I am. All that I am, all that i previously experienced, all that I have attained in understanding and wisdom and learning and insight on this earth, all the memories of fellowshipping and the suffering with Christ, all of the relationships of love won't be for nothing. They will carry on. I will still be me. Do you know other religions think you lose you? Buddhism believes you just poof, nothing. So, 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 so I have a friend, and you know who he is. He's suffering in a way I can't even understand. If that doesn't pay off the good, what is the purpose of it? But in heaven, I get a new body. I get to still be me, and everything I've earned down here, the fellowship of his suffering will be rewarded. Man. Having a new body means nothing will be lost. I believe the pearl in this story, you know, the guy who's looking for pearls, I think the person who's looking for meaning in life and the pearl is the one he found that is the most satisfying, that answers all the questions. And the beautiful thing about heaven with a new body is I'm not going to start all over again. I'm going to continue to be me. It means a ton, especially when you read philosophical ideas of what heaven is. If I'm still me, it answers so many questions. My second one is this. There's going to be a wedding feast. We're going to feast. Now, I understand this. This means I'm still going to have taste, smell, sight, touch, physical satisfaction. Heaven is a place where desires don't die, but they explode in enthusiastic fulfillment. I'll finally taste the way it's supposed to taste. God wants me to want things. He made me to want things. He made you to delight in things. He didn't make you to delight in things because it's, you know, it's childish to delight like in things. Because He knows it's sheer delight. You know what I love? Is the perfect plate of spaghetti. <laughs> it touches every taste. Remember like in, um, if you've ever seen What About Bob, and they go, Mm, hmm mmm, mmm, mmm. <laughs> You're going to hear that echoing in heaven all over the place. To me, heaven's going to be the place where all of the corn is hand chucked. It's going to be incredible. If you ever saw What About Bob, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Third thing, I'm going to get to rule with him. We are going to be rewarded for our sacrifice through genuine honor. We're going to be honored by God. I will be recognized fully by God as a person whose opinion matters. My talents will still be used. I will be able to help improve God's world on a continual basis. I think deep in our hearts, we want to be seen as noble, respected, recognized people. In heaven, we will be. We will recognize and relish in each other's worthiness. It's called nobility, majesty. Actually, Jesus is the only majestic one but we're going to be prince and princesses next to him on the throne. That's majesty. Some of you are like, come on, that's a, that's, a, that's a fairy tale. Have you read your Bible? Fourth thing, we're going to please Dad. He's going to say, well done. We get to please the one we respect the most. And we will see God. We will marvel at Jesus and all his glory. You know, in John 15, he says, I want you to be with me so you can see my glory. You'll get to see his glory. We will actually get to see it, and it's more beautiful. His glory is more beautiful than thousands of stars and millions of sunsets. It is a perfect, you know how a perfect song moves you? Or the side of an ocean, seeing it the horizon go down, and sometimes it just draws you to tears? when you see the face of Jesus, it's much better than any of that. All five of these things together, you put them together and then you know why Paul in Romans says, oh, the depth and the knowledge and the wisdom of God, how wonderful. (laughs) I can't search His beauty. That's why He can't hold it in. But in my reading, there's another view on how to take the treasure and the pearl. Some scholars don't believe it's us finding a treasure. They think Jesus is the one who sold everything to buy the treasure and the pearl. The treasure he wanted to buy cost him his life. What treasure is that that he bought? Huh? Maybe we are the treasure. In fact, some scholars say that pearl represents the church. The way that you form pearls through suffering in the clam, and it grows, the church is growing in beauty. We are the pearl, and he sold everything to buy us. So the question is, which one's right? Are we the ones that buy the pearls, or are we the pearl? And then you go to this verse. This verse is amazing, (laughs) truthfully. It's in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, 12 through 14. Listen to what it says. Not that I have already obtained all this. Paul is saying, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. He said, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So here's Jesus, and he's searching, and he takes hold of me. Imagine him grabbing me by the shoulders and saying, I want you. I'm his treasure. And then while I'm being grabbed by him, Paul says, I grab him by the shoulders and say, you are everything I've always wanted. He is the pearl of great price to me. In a sense, both are true. Continues on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is the prize? here it is. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus. We are going to look just like him. I want that. That's the treasure that's still buried in me. Someday it's going to come out fully. And I can't wait. We're going to finish with the song with the praise team. And this song explains in really human terms the joy of the truth of being found by Christ. My question for you is, have you found it? Do you have faith in it? Has there been a time in your life when you have looked at the gospel that you really believe that Jesus came to this earth, he died for you, he rose from the grave, and then all who believe that are His, and you read that and you're like, I believe that. Have you ever had that moment where it's like you found a treasure? I can remember one one of the first times I really understood it. I was upstairs in my bedroom. My dad gave me this book to read. And I'm on this this old bed my mom had It's kind of lumpy. I can remember exactly this day. And I'm reading this book. And this book says... Justification by faith means when I have faith, I am justified in the eyes of God. So the moment I believe, all my past sins, all my present sins, and all my future sins are paid for. And I closed the book and I ran downstairs. I said, Dad, do you know what this means? I can remember my dad sitting on a chair, had his legs crossed. He's reading a book. He goes, Chris, I've been trying to tell you that for years. But it had to be made alive to you. Have you ever been made alive to that?